Welcome to Woking Up. White supremacy. White supremacy is the fringe of the fringe. This is a mini-series brought to you by Polite Conversations. All of a sudden we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA anymore. Here I'll talk about my journey into and out of being a new atheist Sam Harris fan. In and of itself, in and of itself, that video is not evidence of racism. I'm your ex-Muslim host, Ina. No, not the right-wing kind. Thank you for tuning in. This is how the left will die. All right, I am back with yet another edition of Woking Up. And congratulations, America on at least sort of booting out the awful orange fashy clown. <sighs> what a roller coaster that's been and uh, continues to be. I thought I was going to take a longer break after pushing the last two episodes out about a week apart, but it seems that I might have to do a post-US election one after all. A slight detour from my planned episodes about this journey, but still very relevant to the larger conversation on this fascinating and nauseating topic of Harrisology. I have to do it because it really cements just how wrong Sam's consistently been, how bad his judgment is, and just how culty those who still orbit him are. It's been pretty hilarious watching the IDW flip-flopping and infighting around this time. <laughs> the infighting is a thing of beauty. As I said on Twitter, I would love to see one of them accuse another in their little group of cancel culture against Trump or something. <laughs> that would be poetic. But let's back up a bit and uh, zoom into the subject of this mini-series and take a look at the evolution of our extremely rational hero and his extremely rational takes throughout the course of this election season. From pre-election to during it and post-election too. Some real high-level ideas happening here. <laughs> Honestly, this display of constant bad judgment as you're about to see, and cowardice, just makes me wonder how anyone takes this guy seriously at all anymore. Let's dive in, shall we? Ah, uh, yes. The very last bit of pre-election content Sam bestowed upon us mere mortals was a mini-episode about eight minutes long. Actually, that's very dishonest of you, Ina. It was 8 minutes and 22 seconds long. Get your facts straight. This just goes to show how much you lie about everything. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is not that much of an exaggeration of the kinds of pedantic comments I get from Sam fans. But anyway, Sam's 8 minute and 22 second mini episode was... Uh, 
exactly what you'd expect, pretty much. Though he criticized Trump in it, in his uh, unique way that we discussed last episode. The core point it all hinged on was that he suddenly had had this epiphany, like hours before the election, and now he amazingly understood why half his country liked and voted for Trump last time. Because in contrast, you see, the woke left was so horrid and judgy and sanctimonious, and they cancelled poor straight white cis men so that these innocent angels were left with no other choice but to become Trumpers. Now, after all these years of Trump, at the last hour, Sam had finally understood this. Shush, 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 shush. Never mind that he literally has been repeating this fucking talking point of left bad, therefore Trump, for the entirety of Trump's term. Look, he wants you to believe that he's just now come to this incredible, refreshing new viewpoint, okay? Can you just give him that, you mean wokists? the presidential election and I don't know why it's taken me this long to understand this until a few minutes ago I had more or less reconciled myself to never understanding this but I believe at this late hour on the very eve of the 2020 election I have discovered a significant part of Trump's appeal appeal has been a total mystery to me, but I believe I have now solved that mystery. Again, I don't know why it took me so long. And this picture of Trump's appeal is really best understood in comparison with the messaging of his opponents on the left. That's how you can see it in stereo. That's how the image finally pops out. So taking the Trump half of this picture... One thing that Trump never communicates, and cannot possibly communicate, is a sense of his moral superiority. The man is totally without sanctimony. Even when his every utterance is purposed towards self-aggrandizement, even when he appears to be denigrating his supporters, even when he's calling himself a genius, he is never actually communicating that he is better than you more enlightened, more decent, because he's not, and everyone knows it. And now consider the other half of this image. What are we getting from the left? We're getting exactly the opposite message. Pure sanctimony, pure judgment. You are not good enough. You're guilty not only for your own sins, but for the sins of your fathers. The crimes of slavery and colonialism are on your head. And if you're a cis, white, heterosexual male, which we know is the absolute core of Trump's support, you're a racist, homophobic, transphobic, Islamophobic, sexist barbarian. Tear down those statues and bend the fucking knee. 
it's the juxtaposition of those two messages that is so powerful. What a gem of a mini episode. Just put yourself in the anti-Trump pre-election mindset for a second. It's so, so valuable to shit on the left and say you understand Trump supporters now. And to mention how that newfound understanding will make you less of an asshole towards them, not towards the left, heaven forbid. So I sincerely hope we rid ourselves of him tomorrow. But I believe I now understand the half of the country that disagrees with me a little better than I did yesterday. And this makes me less confused and judgmental, less of an asshole, probably which is always progress. Sam's words were just so useful and necessary at that precise moment in time, you know? Especially as a Trump hater who definitely doesn't want to pander to Trumpians in his audience or anything. Just an extremely helpful thing to put out on your massive platform the day before the election. Oh, and the episode he released just before that with Andrew Sullivan was quite interesting too, where they expressed their incredible reasons for disliking Trump and fearing he would win. Extremely normal reasons to hate Trump, like uh, the fact that he stigmatizes great causes like immigration control. And um, he emboldens the evil SJWs and hasn't been able to defang the very worst of the left. Yeah, that's the real problem with Trump, you see. We haven't even seen any serious permanent or rooted policies in controlling or changing the dynamic on immigration, which, if Biden gets in, will be back to square one. That... We haven't actually seen a, a war of ideas that has defanged some of the worst elements of the left. If anything, Trump seems to me to have presided over enormous strengthening of elements on the extreme left. And that he has been their best friend in so many ways by making it almost impossible to counter some of these trends on the far left without seeming to defend the indefensible. So on those people who want substantively are sympathetic to a more adjusted, as it were, conservatism, I don't think Trump has been competent enough to deliver it. And I don't think, and I think in many ways, he's been extraordinarily counterproductive in that effect. And I think, for example, he's done more to stigmatize and taint the cause of some kind of control of mass immigration than anyone on the left could ever have done. And, and, and I think that's really emboldening the people that he said he was trying to oppose and uh, disempower. Yeah, well, your point about the way in which he's empowered the far left is, is very important because this, this is a very common claim that this is Trump is some kind of bulwark against the craziness on the left. But to the contrary, Trump has empowered the far left and he has, he has given his, his ugliness has given the far left whatever semblance of justification it's had, right? I mean, his, his flirtation with racism, his flirtation with racism, his flirtation with racism, his, 
his failure to clearly repudiate white supremacy. I mean, he, he has he has repudiated white supremacy to a greater degree than people on the left give him credit for. I mean, he has actually done it in places, but he's done it so badly and so unconvincingly that he is the almost the perfect goblin to merit the counter reaction on the left. And so the, the, the And with all the racism and white supremacy strangely cropping up around him, just slight flirtations by Trump, let's not go overboard and concretely call it out as very racist or anything like the left would do. Ew. All the the craziness of the wokeness cult and the overreaching of Black Lives Matter and all of that has happened on Trump's watch, and you could certainly argue in large measure because of Trump and because of how bad he is. So it's just the idea that he is somehow a corrective to this seems crazy. You see, the biggest problem with Trump is that he distracts from the real important conversation about wokeness and makes wokeness fear mongers look unhinged and not credible. That's why rational people don't want him to win, guys. He only flirted with racism, but just look at the other horrible things he's caused to happen. Movements like Black Lives Matter. The horror. And maybe under Biden, they can finally pivot back and focus on that with some credibility. Priorities, right? And what I would expect to have under Biden is not, you know, the full capture of Biden by the wokeness. I would expect all of us to be able to far more credibly pivot and turn our attention on the wokeness. Pivot and turn our attention on the wokeness. And repudiate it. I mean, not to, not to say we haven't been doing that, but. We now do it under the shadow that the right and the, and the far right under Trump has managed to produce. Whereas under a Biden administration, the wokeness can be discussed as, you know, in terms that, that reveal it to be as unhinged and unpragmatic as it is. I call this shit in my last Woken Up episode. <laughs> what was it that I said last time? But either way, you know the IDW will pivot accordingly to make sure they are still firing directly at what they think is the equivalent of the left in the situation. Shocking, I know. At least Sullivan admits he's a conservative, for fuck's sake. Unlike some other people who just happen to agree with the right almost all the time, and who happen to be aware that there are Trumpers listening to their content, and worried even about driving them from their audience. What do you make of yeah. the fact, though, that there, there are people, you know, if we haven't already driven them from our audience, there are people listening to us who just don't understand this allergy we have to Trump. Oh, and there was the obligatory defending Trump from accusations of racism. We can't go without that now, can we? 
is a racist, yes. But do I think he's a kind of long-standing white supremacist seeking to oppress? No, he's desperate for minority votes. He champions them. He talks about them all the time. It's more complicated than that. And yeah. I think... <laughs> Can you imagine participating in a conversation like this without any pushback? As if it's normal to say Trump champions minorities all the time. Yes, yes, okay, fine. He's maybe a little racist and maybe flirting with racism, but definitely not in the way the left likes to talk about him. And like the Christchurch shooter who was apparently just trolling and not really committed to white supremacy as an ideology, according to Sam, Trump, too, is apparently not a committed racist. You know who's always ideologically committed, though? The Muslims and the wokeists, of course. But with everyone else, it's hard to say, really. Well, he's, he's totally without ideology. You know, he, he's not committed to anything. What are the left even on about? Calling Trump racist? Trump? It's so far-fetched. I mean, sure, sure, he's a racist because Sam knows the tapes of the N-word exist, but it's not like that's his bar for racist or anything. And also, everything the left says he's racist about is wrong. In fact, there's not really even much public evidence of his racism anyway. I, mean, I do think, I, I believe, you know, to a moral certainty that I have evidence that he's racist, just, but it's, it's not especially public evidence. I mean, I've talked about this before, but I, I know at least two people who have it directly from Mark Burnett that he buried the Apprentice tapes. And that, that on those tapes, you've got Trump using the N-word in earnest, not talking about it as a, as a word, but just, ta just using it because that's what he calls these people. Because that's what he calls these people. These people. Yikes. Now, dear listeners, we're on to election day. Boy, did Sam have some takes for us then. On November 3rd, at what I see as 4.50pm, he tweeted out a poll to his audience. Reality check. Businesses are boarding their windows throughout the U.S. out of concern that A. The left might riot which shockingly got 52% of the vote from Sam's audience. B, the right might riot, which only got 11% of the vote from Sam's rational crew. And the third option was both A and B, which he might as well have called, but both sides are bad. Which, as we know, is a popular take in IDW circles in these fucked up Trumpy times. And that got 37% of the vote. The poll received a total of 93,528 votes. Then, about an hour later, he decided he should tweet another poll because, you know, he wanted to be extremely thorough. Smart, thinky man that he is. And uh, this one said, The above poll is hard to interpret without knowing the politics of the respondents. In political terms, you are generally liberal, which got 40% of the vote, conservative, which got 16%, and then the last option was centrist. 
which got 44% of the vote. A total of 55,241 people voted on this one. And 10 minutes after that, he tweeted, Obviously, these aren't scientific polls, but there is no indication that the results of the first are due to a conservative bias in my Twitter audience. <laughs> oh, I mean, what can I even add to that, really? <laughs> Just stellar work there. Oh, why? Why is Sam's understanding of polls and stats so bad? And the confidence, my goodness, to declare that there's no indication of a conservative bias. Come the fuck on. No self-awareness. Zero. Asking your very Rubenesque, IDW-ish fan base to self-ID their politics on a Twitter poll to refute the idea that there may be, in fact, a conservative bias among your audience is just amazing. If MAGA fools like Ruben and James Lindsay can use the word liberal for themselves, if fucking Project Veritas promoting, Bannon retweeting, Majid Nawaz can use it, then obviously almost anyone can. Not to mention that leftist wasn't even an option he gave, and the word centrist is used by a lot of right-wing IDW types who simply don't want to admit to themselves even that they're on the right. I'm pretty sure human biodiversity enthusiast Claire Lehman of Phrenology Mag or uh, Quillette, is it, would use the term centrist and possibly even liberal. These are just the most mind-numbingly stupid polls. How do you publicly put this shit out and just claim there's no evidence of a conservative bias? Holy shit. <laughs> and what a time to do it, too. So you can get an early start on wagging your finger at what you perceive to be the left before you even know which way the election's going. See? Look at my totally not right-wing audience. 52% of them said businesses were afraid the left would riot. Ooh, scary Antifa BLM wokeness something something. Right now, D.C.'s Freedom Plaza, as we're noting, filled with red MAGA hats of thousands of President Trump supporters. They are protesting the election results. We're going to go right to NBC's Ellison Barber on the ground, joining us from right there. So what are you hearing from the demonstrators? I know they were really trying to disrupt you in our report last hour on the air. see but on the back of these hats cowboy hats you see it says stop the steal that is what the people here tell us they believe is happening they do not consider uh president-elect joe biden to be the president-elect they say and they claim that this is a fraudulent election though they don't offer any specific evidence for that when i have asked i spoke to one person just a little while ago a man walking holding signs about what he says is a fraudulent election and i asked why he did not uh, accept the results or the projections that have been made so far he said that the media does not decide or call elections. When I asked if he trusted the projection that NBC News made just in the last couple of days calling North Carolina for Donald Trump, he said that that one was different. So it's hard to get a clear answer as to why they are trusting uh, some of our calls here, but not others. You can 
frequency here, a large group of people. We have seen extremist or far-right groups within this crowd, uh, the group that's known as Proud Boys. They claim they're white, not white supremacists, though a number of their members have been very closely associated with white supremacist events. They define themselves as Western chauvinists. Uh, they have been here kind of circling the area around the crowd, a large group of them chanting uh, as they sort of just make this kind of constant circle around the group gathered here at Freedom Plaza. to Arizona. Gotti Schwartz has been watching, uh, well he was watching the actual count a few moments ago. He's moved outside where uh, people are letting their opinions know. What do you got? I just watched you. Hey Lester, how's it going? Yes. We've got a police presence over here on this side, uh, but then over to the to the left here. Again, we're trying not to bring too much attention to ourselves. We're trying to be uh, uh, keep a low profile, so you're not going to see the lights, and it's it's difficult uh, to see exactly what we're talking about. Um, but you've got this pretty large crowd right here in front of. Uh, sorry, there. <laughs> this is this is what happens whenever you come out here. You, we're trying to document what's happening. We're trying to document. Uh, what the people inside uh, are listening to as they're counting those ballots. Uh, you can see that there are sheriff's deputies that are surrounding this crowd. Let me show you what it looks like when these poll workers come out. We've seen them escorted out and uh, put into a van and then uh, driven somewhere. And then down in the crowd, we have seen uh, some people with guns, uh, but so far they have insisted that this is a very uh, peaceful protest. Just a little while ago, we saw a couple people with rifles slung on their back. Uh, in fact, you've got a, a gentleman down there that you see with a, he's got a, some sort of tactical vest on, and then right next to him is a woman who's got a, a rifle slung on her back. Uh, there was a group of them trying to get inside. They were asked to leave because they weren't wearing masks, asked to come outside to talk, uh, and then uh, the, the crowd appeared. So we're not exactly sure uh, what all of their uh, their complaints are. We have heard uh, them talk about how this election is being stolen uh, from the president. We've heard them talk about uh, the use of Sharpies in the election. We checked into that. Uh, some of them were saying that they used Sharpies and they were given Sharpies during their election process, and that invalidated their vote. Uh, that appears to be not the case case at all. In fact, uh, election officials say oftentimes those Sharpies work better uh, and they have been told to uh, they've been told to use those Sharpies because the ink dries faster. So uh, the officials here have assured us that all those votes are going to be canceled, can't, uh, counted, but as you can see this crowd is just uh, filled with a lot of people who are voicing their anger here in front of where poll workers are trying to tabulate those votes. And now to our headlines this morning, breaking overnight, a concerning situation outside of the Pennsylvania Convention Center as police take two heavily armed men into police custody. Eyewitness News was there as officers put one of the men in the back of a police vehicle there. Police arrested the suspects around 10 o'clock last night at 13th and Arch. A Hummer with Virginia tags was found on the 200 block of North 13th Street. Authorities found multiple guns inside of that vehicle. Later in that same day, election day, still before people really knew which way things were going, he tweeted, Whatever happens, can we agree 
that defund the police was among the most idiotic phrases ever uttered in the hopes of achieving a political goal. Now, regardless of what you actually think of the phrase, can we agree that Sam's first instinct is to punch left, no matter whatever the fuck else is going on? And then in the early days too, right after the election that lasted a hundred years, Sam's earliest takes were things like that, before even waiting for a good sense of what was happening. Like, the very next day, November 4th, he tweeted, Lesson number one, the political cost of woke identity politics, which Biden didn't even espouse, but was tarred with was equivalent to the political cost of botching COVID, caging children, paying only $750 in taxes, etc., and openly undermining our democracy. Now, other than predictably blaming wokeness, I'm not sure what he's even saying here. Is it that wokeness is as bad as all these things and so cost the Democrats as much? Or is it that it's perceived as this fucking bad by many people, so the left better watch it? Either way, it's the same BS he's always on about. And he was going to say this, regardless of outcome. But imagine the smugness it takes to start handing out lessons about wokeness before you even have any evidence of your claims. He may have thought things were super, super, super close then, but why not wait and see? Now, what was it that I said last time again? Can't wait for Sam Harris post-election SJW scolding part two. Oh yeah, (laughs) we already got a little taste of that. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more. I mean, isn't it just great that even according to his own ridiculous take, Biden apparently didn't even espouse the evil wokeness, but he still suffered the consequences. So does it matter even whether you espouse it or not? Because if you're to the left of Stephen Miller, you're going to be tarred with it anyway. So the lesson, even from this silly, silly take, would be that the right isn't fair or accurate in who they claim is doing this vague, scary wokeness thing. So maybe don't take wokeness fear-mongering seriously. That's the lesson I'm seeing. We always knew, though, this was going to be about pivoting to wokeness, because they have to keep themselves relevant somehow. As I said in the previous episode, and as Sam kindly confirmed in his chat with Andrew Sullivan that we just heard before, There was also this hilarious flowchart from Reddit that was circulating on Twitter, which put it far better than I ever could. It had four possible outcomes, Biden winning narrowly or easily, or Trump winning narrowly or easily, and each led to the same thing. One big box that said, we must therefore repudiate woke identity politics. Just a perfect visual demonstration, if you can imagine it, of how empty and on script and meaningless their takes are. This wonderful lesson about wokeness take of Sam's was sitting right next to a retweet of Ben Shapiro saying something like, 
No, Trump has not already won the election, and it is deeply irresponsible for him to say he has. Broken clocks and all that, but yeah, surely there was no one better to retweet on this. Despite one okay take, you in fact do not gotta hand it to Ben fucking Shapiro. (laughs) And then, as we continue to wade through this election Twitter timeline, there were also some Sam tweets praising Fox News for their professionalism and sobriety, a Thomas Chatterton Williams retweet where his point was that he simply doesn't want to write off half or more of the country as racist, and how democracy depends on locating people who can explain why Trump got more black and Hispanic votes this time. Checkmate, wokists. The answer to which is that, obviously, Trumpism is not racism, guys. Look, here, people of color. So how could it be? Did I mention I hate identity politics? (laughs) No thought given to how bigotries can vary, too, and that Trump appeals to a wide range of bigots. Some people may vote for him because of their anti-Muslimness, and they may be people of color. Some Muslims vote for Trump, too. That doesn't refute that he has whipped up serious anti-Muslim hate with his words and actions. Some people may vote for Trump because they're misogynists. Some might be anti-immigration and also people of color. Some Latinos may be white and anti-black, and some black people may be anti-Latino, and some might just want to trigger the libs. Bigotry and racism is complex. It doesn't exist with the cartoonish simplicity Sam and his crew wanted to. I'm so tired of repeating this, but if I'm covering Sam, it's a recurring theme, so I must continue stressing that racism is complicated and layered and constantly evolving and reinvented and also intersectional in 2020. Don't assume that a higher minority vote automatically refutes the idea of Trumpers being various types of bigots and racists. Ah, then as we continue to trudge through this glorious post-election Twitter timeline, we arrive at the AOC criticisms a couple of times. Gosh, he really dislikes her. Mentions her wokeness on his show a heck of a lot, too. So, yeah, very interesting to observe during such a critical time. (laughs) And hilariously, Sam also retweeted a comment calling Steve Bannon a bit ISIS because it accompanied a clip where a deranged Bannon calls for Dr. Fauci and the FBI director to be beheaded and have their heads put on pikes. So calling him a bit ISIS is spot on, I say, but I bring it to your attention because remember what Sam once had to say about the left criticizing Bannon for being racist, which should have been pretty uncontroversial? Again, I, I totally agree with you about Steve Bannon. He's not he's not Richard Spencer. I think he's he's unfairly slimed as being that sort of right wing xenophobe or racist. Now imagine some pedant coming along and saying, Well, actually he's no jihadi John or anything. Uh, he's being unfairly slimed as that kind of beheading enthusiast. 
imagine sticking your neck out for people like Bannon and then being proven wrong ten times over. He's moved even way beyond just racism and empowering neo-Nazis now. Sam always, always gets proven wrong about the lunatics he defends, and never does he own up to it, which is the most infuriating part. Once they clear a bar high enough for Sam to be critical of the right, something like undermining democracy or calls for beheading, you know, he just jumps on the bandwagon and acts like he was always on the right side of it, never retracting his defenses or promotions of awful people that he puts out frequently on his large platform. Such a dishonest guy. Rarely does he give it a moment of thought that maybe he's not the best judge of character when it comes to right-wingers, as his track record clearly shows, and maybe that at some point it's time for him to acknowledge explicitly that he's been wrong about these things, because this keeps happening to him. Oh, and we'll be returning to this theme a few times over the course of this series, but also again in this episode, so just hang on to that thought for a second. Moving on, for now. Uh, We're at November 6th. By this time, we certainly knew more about the direction the election results were going in, and the stakes started to get higher as it became clear that Donald wasn't going to step down gracefully. And Sam's friends all didn't fall on the right side of it. (laughs) That's when things got really fun in the IDW sphere. And dare I say, there were even some casualties in the battle of ideas. Majid Nawaz. My goodness, I didn't think he could sink lower than what I mentioned last time, but he's moved even beyond Alex Jones' conspiracy territory now, propping up and using multiple racist sources to make his bullshit points. One was a known white nationalist anti-Semitic website, even. And when told, his response was, oops, I didn't look at their other stuff. Uh, when you're promoting some random source you're not familiar with, especially if you have a big platform, you should fucking take a look around before you spread that shit on the internet. Like, he's lost it. But let's not forget here the sustained, glowing endorsements and endless promotion he got for years. Years from Sam. And ditto with Ayan Hirsi Ali, who's turned out to be basically the opposite of a human rights activist. <laughs> She's someone who can't even remotely, credibly claim to be concerned with women's rights now, as an open supporter of sexual predators like Trump and Brett Kavanaugh. And as someone who worried about cancel culture coming for Ghislaine Maxwell. Very happy to get you guys together. I mean, that was, uh, I've been kind of looking to do this for at least two years, and finally it's arrived. What's been your ultimate goal? Like, what was it? Well, he, I mean, Maja is just a superstar that needs more exposure. I mean, he's like, like he should be running half of civilization. I mean, he's, he's really a That's one of those quotable things you can put on the back of a book, isn't it? That needs more exposure. He should be running half of civilization. He should be running half of civilization. Here you have one of the most courageous people on earth championing the rights of women and paying an extraordinary price for doing so, and she's derided by people on the left as a bigot. 
One of the most frustrating things in my life has been to see Ayan get criticized by imbeciles. One of the most courageous people on earth championing the rights of women. Championing the rights of women. One of the most frustrating things in my life has been to see Ayan get criticized by imbeciles. Criticized, criticized, imbeciles, imbeciles. One of the most courageous people on earth Champion the rights of women, rights of women. Nope, Sam, as it turns out, she's a Brett Kavanaugh supporter, Trumper, PragerU video collaborator, and about the being derided by people on the left as a bigot, well, I guess they were right and you were wrong. <laughs> and so far, of course, Sam hasn't said anything specifically publicly at least, to or about either of those people whose careers he literally helped propel. Imagine being even somewhat responsible for inflicting those two Trumpy embarrassments onto the world, and not specifically addressing it. I mean, he let the silence go on for years and years regarding Rubin, whose career he also helped out by not only appearing on his very first episode, but also defending him repeatedly when asked about him, and by literally funding Rubin for fuck's sake. Ugh. When you repeatedly create these messes in public, when you are this consistently wrong, and you have backed dumpster fire after dumpster fire, you have some obligation to own up to it just a little bit, and not just quietly distance yourself by stepping away as if nothing ever happened. I suppose sometimes he thinks he can make do with just staying quiet and pretending he hasn't noticed, but in desperate times such as these, where say democracy itself is being threatened in his country, he may actually feel some urgency to speak out about the circus he's surrounded himself with. <laughs> Not too boldly or specifically, of course. We wouldn't want to rock the boat too hard with the anti-left tribe. But let me be fair here. He has actually done a bit of that recently. However, it's been pretty anticlimactic, to be honest. An attempt at face-saving, I suppose, at retaining some credibility jumping off the catastrophically sinking ship that is the IDW and all that. Some pretty weak shit, though, rather than the incredible, principled, and brave stance that many of his fans are grasping at straws to believe. Oh, yes! Sam has finally grown a backbone and is speaking up about the madness in his little brain club. That'll show his critics. He's not like the other IDWers. Gosh, don't you hate when you, an intellectual, just simply try to revive the race science debate and put an intellectual spin on a bunch of far-right talking points, but all the guys that flock to you keep acting like unhinged idiots in public. Ah, I hate when that happens. Sam fans, please. Please stop sending me his mild tweets to Ben Shapiro and Brett Weinstein as some great aha moments. Gone are the days where I was easily impressed by Sam. I don't think it's as amazing as you do, I can assure you. 
He basically put up with the shit forever, despite claiming to hate Trump, and now only because he's painted himself into a corner is he having a slight moment where he must face who his pals are and what they're saying in this situation. Clearly, all this IDW shit doesn't reflect too well on him or his judgment now, does it? But back to the Twitter timeline. Let's see. What happened? There was uh, some mild Brett and Sam drama. (laughs) So we're still on November 6th here, and it seems that Brett Weinstein got a bit annoyed with Sam, tweeting that people should reserve their outrage for Trump and his enablers. And he quote tweeted Sam with some both sidesing about the election, saying if the Trump years were bullshit, the upcoming ones would be horseshit, basically saying it was going to be more of the same. And Sam responded to that, first assuring him that he too is just as concerned about wokeness as Brett is. Worry not, friend. But then, in a shocking move, he sort of stood his ground and said, Trump was the problem, actually, and also said there's no equivalence between the two parties at this moment. And then finish that off with a nice, if the Dems had nominated someone from Antifa, you'd have a point. (laughs) So a mixed bag there, really. Nothing too harsh. Literally beginning with their shared concern for wokeness and ending with their shared concern about Antifa goes to show how low standards are for Sam to appear very principled and decent. Because people were jumping for joy at this big fat nothing burger. I mean, I kinda get it, I guess. That hopefulness where you're just looking for something, anything, any indication that this guy has some basic human decency and that he's not what his critics have made him out to be. I've been there. I remember being so relieved when, in 2016, he told people with Pepe avatars to unfollow him. I was like, oh, thank God, this is amazing. He's not the bigot I was starting to fear he was. Even though that was nothing but lip service, really. And disliking the obvious Pepe brand of bigotry doesn't mean someone can't be another variety of bigot, as I discovered soon after. Hindsight is twenty twenty, I suppose. But really, though, I'd get it more if it were the pre-Trump and pre-IDW era and pre-his love for Charles Murray, before he was so thoroughly exposed, when there may have been some plausible deniability. But now? Come on. This is just sad. Though, when his closest, most highly praised allies are people like Majid, who's more embarrassing than Alex Jones these days, and Douglas Whites are becoming a minority, Murray, both who've entertained election fraud conspiracies, uh, yeah. I guess it's not that hard to appear better and more reasonable by comparison, eh? In relation to the whole IDW even, they've all gone off the rails in far more ridiculous and obvious ways than Sam. Anti-vax, anti-mask BS, just so, so yeah, among these fools, he's certainly one of the better ones, (laughs) but that's not saying much. However, back to his Twitter response to Brett, where he said, there's no equivalence between the two parties at this moment. 
Some people have excitedly been reading that as Sam saying the wokeness and Trumpness equivalence is not a good one. I want to stress here that that's not what he said at all. He, in fact, makes that equivalence all the time himself. What he said was that there's no equivalence between the two parties at this moment, specifically when one party is participating in undermining democracy, you know? So, not quite. He's not going to give up the equivalence that is his bread and butter, his entire brand now, is he? It seems to me that virtually every Democratic candidate at this point is poised to pander to the wokeness so much that they're capable of not making sense on an issue even this clear-cut. You just have to get them once sounding completely insane on these issues of cancel culture and race and Me Too and trans issues, whatever it is, Get them once, visibly crossing the event horizon into the wokeness, and you are ensuring four more years of Trump. I mean, honestly, the far left is as concerned about race as the Ku Klux Klan. And yet the problem is the far left is not the fringe. The far left is everywhere now, in academia, in tech, in journalism. So, I mean, I am, I mean, you can, you can hear it in me. I am really worried that we're going to screw this up. We being liberals who should be desperate to get rid of Trump. I see the Trump phenomenon and the Black Lives Matter phenomenon. Just, I mean, I, I see just the, the crack opening up in the pavement in our society. And we have assholes like Trump possibly getting elected as a result. And then we have Black Lives Matter responding. Black Lives Matter is many things. But one thing it is, is the leftist version of Trump not honestly talking about reality. Even fucking David Frum is to the left of Harris. And more in touch with reality when it comes to things like this. Frum tweeted... Normally, Inauguration Day is a day of self-congratulation. This next one should be a day of self-reflection and commitment to self-improvement. The U.S. not only lags other democracies, it has regressed even by its own standards. Time for a new era of reform. And reform begins with acceptance of some grim and unwanted realities. The problems are not on both sides. The illiberal authoritarianism of some dean of students somewhere is not equivalent to illiberal authoritarianism by the Attorney General of the United States. <sighs> Sam, on the other hand, has been consistently downplaying the horrors of the right while fearmongering about the left at every possible moment. That is the purpose of most of his output. Only now... When the Republicans are literally fucking with democracy in his country, does he do the bare minimum and say that at this moment there's no equivalence between the parties? This in a time where even Tucker Carlson and Fox News aren't far right enough for the Trumpians. So let's not get too excited. But moving on with our adventure, we have arrived at the final destination for this episode. 
we're now at November 18th, and the stakes are even higher as more Republicans have got on board and legitimized Trump's horrendous behavior and refusal to accept the election results. And as this story develops into more and more of a clown show, the IDW friends are becoming more and more embarrassing. By this time... (laughs) Sam has finally felt compelled to release an episode where he actually says something about the IDW. Obviously, he starts it off by criticizing the left and uh, his favorite person, AOC. And within the first two minutes, he's misrepresented her words so completely, and he's built his criticisms of the left upon this very straw man. People like AOC seeming to call for vengeance against Trump supporters. She went so far as to encourage people to keep lists of everyone who had supported Trump in any capacity. I think it's quite clear that nothing good is waiting for us down that path. What the fuck is he talking about? He's referencing a tweet of hers where she simply said, Is anyone archiving these Trump sycophants for when they try to downplay or deny their complicity in the future? I foresee decent probability of many deleted tweets, writings, photos in the future. You know, basic accountability for people in power who are doing some dangerous shit. Shouldn't be controversial. Once again, so dishonest. And so confused, too, because he ends his episode saying something similar to her point. But we run a serious risk of moral hazard if there are no consequences for the people who decided to torch our democracy on the chance that they might personally gain from it. But look, when he says it, it's rational and reasonable. When she says it, she's a hysterical, far-left wokest. Them's the rules. But anyway, where were we? Ah, yes, the left scolding in his uh, post-election episode. So there are real social problems at the bottom of all this that we have to address. And we won't address any of them by writing off everyone who voted for Trump as racist or otherwise irredeemable. What's that now? Sam would never, ever write people off or say such things. I'm tempted to say that the left is just irredeemable at this point. I'm tempted to say that the left is just irredeemable. The left is just irredeemable. Irredeemable. (laughs) He keeps talking about wanting to thread a needle where he's sufficiently critical of Trump, but not demonizing all the people who voted for him. But actually, he's having a hard time threading the real needle we all know he wants to thread, where he feels compelled to shit on the left more than the right, but also recognizes the very real threat coming from the right. So, like that meme where the guy is wiping his brow and there are two buttons and the two buttons are shit on the left at all times, or criticize the people threatening democracy, you know? And he keeps flip-flopping because he desperately wants to press both buttons, even now, regardless of how much he says not to both sides the issue. (laughs) Just incredible. But what's especially funny is that after they've been such a laughingstock for years, finally, Sam says he's retiring from the IDW. 
But even that is said in relation to the initial problem, which is the left writing half the country off as racist, where now the ITW is bad because they are making the same mistake, but in the opposite direction, by apparently focusing exclusively on the far left. Not like Sam's had an unhealthy focus on the left himself or anything. Not like that's literally what brought all these guys together. But there are many people in my circle, friends and colleagues and podcast guests, who are making the opposite error. Many of them are almost exclusively focused on the problem of the far left. And this is causing them to significantly discount the harm that Trump has caused and is actively causing to our society. Some of these people are Trump supporters, but many aren't. And they've been taking the Trump team's allegations that the election was stolen through massive voter fraud way too seriously. And they're extending a principle of charity to Trump and to the rest of his team that is frankly delusional. Oh, now it's delusional, is it? Again, there is a needle to thread here. And many people don't appear to even see it. Insofar as I've noticed what others in the so-called intellectual dark web have been saying, it's generally not something I want to be associated with. I don't want to single anyone out in particular. I don't want to single anyone out in particular. But allow me to take this moment to turn in my imaginary membership card to this imaginary organization. I mean, the IDW was always tongue-in-cheek, from my point of view. It was a funny name for a group of people who were willing to discuss difficult topics in public, mostly on podcasts. But it never made sense for us to be grouped together as though we shared a common worldview. I never saw much downside to it, and I didn't much think about it. But in the aftermath of this election, with some members of this fictional group sounding fairly bonkers, Oh yeah, it's only completely recent that people like Ruben have been sounding bonkers. I just want to make it clear that I'm not part of any group. Right? So if you want to criticize my ideas, that's great. But I only represent myself here, and no one else speaks for me. Well, good thing I'm interested in criticizing your views and ideas specifically, Sam. But I'm sorry, your endorsements and associations also do say something about you. <laughs> so he says he's handing in his card but then immediately tries to wash his hands of the whole thing in typical Harris manner as if it was always meant to be a joke anyway like come on guys it was never really real this thing I'm so embarrassed by that I am publicly announcing my retirement from not like they all willingly posed for a weirdos in the bushes photo shoot accompanied by an official, very serious introductory profile in the New York Times or anything. <laughs> this is uh, the most cowardly, tepid thing. He doesn't say anything specific or name any names, no matter how many fucking IDWers have been entertaining unhinged voter fraud conspiracies, anti-vax shit, COVID conspiracies. Imagine, imagine propping up and circle jerking with a bunch of guys who end up a Frankenstein of part MAGA, part Infowars. And you've publicly helped create this monster and fed the beast for years. But 
now, even in something you yourself recognize as an emergency, the best you can do is put out this weak, waffly shit. Of course, this was enough for many of the remaining non-MAGA Sam fans to declare him the most rational man on earth and rejoice at his official retirement from the IDW. Take that, SJWs! But really, what even is there to celebrate when in this very episode he's demonstrating that he doesn't acknowledge or own up to any part in the creation of this hideous far-right sanitization vehicle, just a distancing from the title because it got so identifiably cringe. It's not like he's vowed to do better or to change. This is just a sad little attempt at a rebrand. Whether Sam is a card-carrying IDWer or not, I highly doubt the substance of his content will change. I doubt that his left fear-mongering will die down. As you heard early on in this episode, even pre-election it was decided that a Biden win would be good for returning to the much-needed focus on wokeness. Anyway, this IDW retirement, even though IDW wasn't a real thing, supposedly, has also been widely celebrated by Sam fans who think this is some great gotcha for IDW critics. You horrible, mean wokists! Now you can't include him in your IDW criticisms anymore, haha! Okay, fine. We may have to be slightly inconvenienced and add IDW and Sam Harris to our criticisms. Fucking Sam, making us waste our syllables like that. Look, whatever you call this trash heap of supposed intellectuals laundering the far right, and whether you group them together or not, I'm sure we can find a way to identify Sam's BS with or without the handy label. And if you think his distancing from them is praiseworthy or courageous, you ought to give Ruben some credit too because he distanced himself from anti-Trump IDWers before it was cool to break away from the Brain Genius Club. And Brett too has had his own words. You know, I know you know a lot of my, my old circle and the, the intellectual dark web crew and it was mostly lefties. <laughs> mostly lefties. <laughs> A lot of them, you know, you know, Jordan Peterson has had personal problems, so he's been sort of MIA. Uh, ben is obviously, Ben Shapiro is supporting Trump, but the liberal wing of it, whoever's left, they've all sort of become irrelevant in a weird way. I don't mean that as a knock to anybody, um, but, you know, I think the Biden-Trump thing, the Biden thing is so bad that, but they're so afraid of saying that they're Trump supporters, in essence, that they, they just say nothing, you know? And if, if you're a public intellectual in 2020 and you can't say what, you know, what you're for, what are you doing? But you, you were dragged for uh, presumably giving fuel to Trump's fire uh, by talking about the possibility of election fraud, which we talked about a little bit last week. The blowback from doing this was uh, spectacular. And the number of people who considered it some kind of heresy or sin or something was amazing. And you know, you're not allowed to ask those questions. Yeah, it's again. Stay in your lane. It's not even. It's not even your lane. It is. Yeah, and this. Well, stay away from analysis. This is not a place for analysis. And the more I think about it, mm. so ah, uh, there are there are some. 
there are some places that whatever your lane is, you're not allowed to go. Irrespective of what the truth is, don't you dare raise those questions in public. Mm -hmm. And my feeling is, who the hell are you to decide this? And if you're going to decide such things, you have an absolute obligation, even though I will oppose you for deciding them, you have an absolute obligation to be even-handed about them. Right? I guess the band is falling apart completely. Don't worry, though. They'll manage to keep their awfulness going, whether they do it together or alone. I'm sure this isn't the last time we hear garbage takes from any of them. It will be interesting to see, though, if breaking up lessens their impact, divides their fan bases or not. Something to keep an eye on. But I digress. Back to Sam. Let me point out just how desperate the situation had to be for him to even say this much. Hear for yourself how he describes these past few weeks and the urgency he felt. So, in my view, this was a terrifying lurch toward authoritarianism, even if in many ways Trump is a fake authoritarian. And it could have worked. We could have lost our democracy two weeks ago. Samantha forwarded this tweet with the comment, It's real. Our institutions will hold. Now, I practically burst into tears when I read that tweet. And here's why. The fact that that was ever in doubt, that our institutions would hold, the fact that there was even a question as to how the military would respond if we had a madman in the White House refusing to admit that he had lost an election, and demanding that we stop counting votes in states where he was ahead and continue counting them in states where he was behind. The fact that I can even understand Samantha's tweet, it's real, our institutions will hold. The fact that I can parse the fucking sentence is evidence of a crime that has been committed against all of us. And everyone who's been accusing Trump's critics of having Trump derangement syndrome has been party to this crime. You really have played a game of chicken with our democracy. This is probably the lowest point in our democracy since the Civil War. It took him pretty much being reduced to tears and fearing the collapse of his country as he knows it, to generally distance from these guys without naming any names. Imagine recognizing this is the lowest point in your democracy since the Civil War, and looking back at how you chose to have most of your output throughout the period that led to this point. Focus on the excesses of college kids who protest racism and sexism too much in your view. Not fucking praiseworthy. Get your bar off the ground, Sam fans. He also spent time legitimately trying to explain how there isn't credible evidence of massive voter fraud. Any credible accusation of voter fraud should be looked at by the courts. But it's very important to point out that no one has been denying this basic principle of election fairness. Okay, but this was... Here we are talking about tens of thousands of votes in several states, a bigger margin than Trump won by in 2016, to which Hillary Clinton quickly conceded, right, even though she won the popular vote. 
And President Obama immediately began cooperating with the transition team. It wouldn't even occur to me to waste any breath trying to make a case on this topic. What kind of audience do you need to have where you actually spend time on this sort of thing? This man is so confused. He has tried to find a way to make it about the left, but Trump is making it really hard. The situation is urgent, but not as urgent as the left wants to make it seem. Trump is bad, but not as bad as the left makes him out to be. His friends have lost the plot. He has had to retire from the brain club, but it was never a real thing anyway. What a mess. But some people can't see through it, no matter how obvious it becomes. Well, if you are that confused about who this man is, then there really is nothing I or anyone else can say to persuade you on these points. I mean... Sam's talking about Trump here, but the same cultiness exists around him, too. Check this clip out. And be horrified that this was not said in jest. See you next time. Michael, the producer on this show, and I have, have talked about this uh, over many years, that this idea that we need some kind of uh, a, a secular church experience I think institutions like the TED conference and the videos consumed by hundreds of millions of people function a little bit that way, right? The, 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 the message is this is a place where we're going to talk about things that are important for humans uh, that are going to make you laugh, but are also going to be grounded in science to some degree. And this comes up in your conversation in the book with Thomas Metzinger, who says, I think we need something like a secularized spiritual tradition. And you say, echoing what you've just said, what we need is a fully rational spirituality, for lack of a better world. We need an ethical worldview and methodology to, to substitute for the indefensible doctrines that have come to us courtesy of religion. It has to be embraced in the spirit of science with logic and empirical rigor. Do you think of this as an informal project or, or, or might we eventually have a version with, um, with music and whatever the modern version of stained glass windows would be, I think some kind of audiovisual, you know, experience. Yeah, yeah, well, there's been, you know, over the years, a lot of interest in trying to create something formally. I mean, people have come to me, you know, wondering just how we could actually acquire buildings, you know, that people could show up in physically on, on a Sunday. Actually acquire buildings, you know, that people could show up in physically on, on a Sunday. And and do something profound, which would be a, a counterpoint to what everyone's doing in religious buildings. So there's a hunger for a secular alternative to religion. But I'm mindful of the the danger of, of formalizing it and creating any kind of institution around this. I mean, I, yeah, I've often thought that things like TED are filling that need to some degree. I mean, really, it only happens once a year. But, you know, the TEDx conferences are, are spawning all over the place, and they have, you know, it doesn't check all the boxes we would want to check yeah. for that because yeah. the, the real need is what do you do when you want to get married or someone dies and you, you, you need a, a context in which to have a, a proper ceremony, but you also don't want any, any kind of goofy secular alternative either, right? It's, it's actually hard yeah. to get the language right and the ritual right. And, and so, um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. We, we definitely have not solved this problem in, in secular culture. Yeah, yeah. And on, on the subject of ritual, the power of podcasting you referenced is one of the factors that has obviously been kind of critical to your journey, which I find astonishing and, again, really hopeful. You know, because when you think about it, it just couldn't be simpler as a technology, right? As you pointed out, mm-hmm. it's, it's effectively like radio. But you're able to have these very intimate conversations as you would, you know, with a friend, nestled in, in people's ears with a proximity that's maybe only your mother and your lovers have been that close to your ears. You know? Nestled in, in people's ears with a proximity that's maybe only your mother and your lovers have been that close to your ears. Nestled in people's ears with a proximity that's maybe only your mother and your lovers. And, and then you're able to do it on this massive scale and when you think of, uh, of the meditation sort of uh, guide role it brings another level of intimacy because you're taking people through these liminal states of consciousness I mean your, your voice almost has the intimacy of an anesthesiologist you know mm-hmm. count backwards from five and, and again the voice of your mother as you're falling asleep as a child or waking up it's very powerful yeah, I think this was, this was a point that Marshall McLuhan made. That there is something about audio being, as you say, right in your ear, that video, even with the same audio track, isn't, right? So when you have video, you're immediately focusing on the how things look. And, and you, obviously you can get more information. You're getting you know, the, the facial the display of emotion. I mean, you're, you're getting... I mean, it's, it's not that audio is a replacement for video, but it definitely uh, is more intimate somehow when you just have the audio track. Thanks for listening to Woking Up. You can support this show by sharing it or via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. And a special thanks to Intellectual Dark Wave or helping out on the musical front.